everybody. Well, thank you for joining us for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home games, or you can find out about me and the rest of the Wrecking Crew by going to rec.poker slash crew. And if you don't know what Rec Poker is, we're a free community of recreational players who believe that uh, learning can be a positive and encouraging experience and that you have more fun when you beat other people. So come over to rec.poker, learn how to play in a fun way and learn how to crush your own home games and uh, just get better at poker together. That's what we do. So another thing we do is we thank our sponsors, Website Amp and Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino. Another thing we do is we talk to great po- great people in the world of poker. And we're going to do that with uh, one of my favorites, Nate Mavis, in just a moment. Um, I just want to take a second first to thank a couple of folks who have gotten involved over the last little while at Rec Poker, um, specifically uh, Kenzo DeQuester who I haven't gotten a chance to get to know very well, but I know they have given premium membership at rec.poker a chance, and I'm looking forward to uh, getting to know them a little better. And Con Nguyen, who also uh, has become a premium member over the last little while, and I hope that they have had a chance to enjoy a lot of the great learning and community stuff that we do here at Rec Poker. So, someone who is no stranger to community or learning in the world of poker is Nate freaking Mavis. Nate, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no stranger to poker podcasting either. Yeah, good point. Good point. And I know we're hearing kind of a bittersweet moment in your podcasting career. Um, for those who don't know, Nate recently uh, is taking a bit of a backseat. I guess. What, how did you say putting it on the sidelines? You're. Uh... I'm. I Carlos is a host. I am no longer a host of Thinking Poker after eight years, eight plus years as a host of Thinking Poker. I am not a host of Thinking Poker. I, wow. And what what is that? I we'll get into how that came about and and your journey getting to there. But I mean, some people are obviously our listeners are going to know you pretty well already and and know your experiences with thinking poker. Just talk about let's let's go back to front for for a second here. How does that feel now? That's a, that's a big commitment. Eight years is a long time to spend doing anything. What's it like yeah. on the other side? It it's good and <laughs> um, so. You know, this was something that I discovered. There are decisions in life that you make and that are like big turning points where you really have to turn. And then sometimes you're just driving down the highway and you realize you missed your exit. And it's like, I guess I'm going to Utah. And, uh, you know, I woke up one day and I hadn't played a hand of poker in a year and a half. Mm. And I was dreaming about software engineering and not about poker. And I had no plans to poker live and i had no plans to play poker uh on the internet and i adore andrew i adore thinking poker but um i'm extremely time constrained mm. uh, i've been blessed with another child i have two kids now Congratulations, and man. um you know covid uh knock on wood so far i've been very blessed covid has not killed uh much in my life it seems to have killed my poker career. That seems to mm. be a big casualty of COVID in my mm. life. So um, given that, and given that Carlos is amazing, everybody loves Carlos. It's true. Uh, he was ready to step in, uh, loves poker, and nobody better to take it over. And Andrew is a solid dude. So the, the show is in good hands. And like poker... This is part of poker, right? People come and go. That's part of the poker world. This is like something different. It's not. It's not. It's not being a monk. Um, it's. It's a world that like notoriously takes anybody. Like when I was getting in the game, it was still a little bit new that card rooms would like check your IDs. You know, like right. there those favorite. There are those famous stories about Phil Ivey showing up in Atlantic City the day he turned twenty-one and deciding. You know, and like. For the first time, you know, brandishing his legitimate ID, but like, you know, it's um, you know, one of my favorite poker jokes is like people like to ask how, how do you become a professional poker player, and it's like it's very easy. You just quit your job, you know. Like there are no like, and leaving it is like that too, you know. Uh, it, it's not, and you know, I haven't, I, I haven't been shunned. Um, I'm just, I'm just a guy who doesn't play poker. I'm just. Mm a guy with a family and, and, and a job and who doesn't have any plans to play poker and also doesn't have plans to spend a lot of time talking about poker, although I will miss it. Mm, I'm sure. And I think, you know, we talk about at rec poker a lot about kind of following your natural energy and doing what you love doing, and then just bringing other people along for the ride. That's what we all like to do here. So, um, you know, if you're not feeling passionate about it, then I think, you know, 
as much as we love uh, hearing those dulcet tones and getting dropping all these knowledge bombs, I think we would all want you to be doing something that you're really excited about and enjoying. And, you know, that's what we should want. Yeah, you're kind. I haven't gotten any less passionate about poker, I think. You know, there's a boom era that I'll always miss. Maybe we'll talk about nostalgia and about the way the game has changed later. Um, I I didn't cool on poker. I'm unique among my acquaintances like this. Many of my poker friends, they either got jaded or they started to worry that they were wasting their lives or... um, just whatever happened. Like they got more excited about something in a way that reduced their motivation to play poker. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure that ever happened to me. I just had other things happen. And like, I'm, I'm a lucky guy. It got superseded by, uh, you know, another kid and me really getting excited about software. So that's, that's where I am now. I, I wouldn't say I'm not passionate about poker. I love the game. I, I think, um, there are roles in the game that I wouldn't want to play. I think if I could jump down to um, the encore in Boston and if the games were as good as they were in 2004 and I could just sort of jump in and be mediocre and crush the games, like maybe I would. Right. But like, I think I don't want to be a fish either. Like, like I love playing, I would enjoy it, but like, it's just not something like that's not a role I want to be in. And like the whole modern game, I don't know. There's that whole side of it too. Well, so it sounds like you're, you haven't uh, diminished your love of poker so much as you've promoted these other things in your life to, to a similar or higher level of excitement, like software yeah. engineering and uh, your new family uh, at home and everything. So, I mean, that's encouraging to hear that you're still uh, passionate about poker and that you still enjoy it. It's just these other things that you enjoy even more or that you find yeah. even more captivating. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, I still think poker is one of the the very great American traditions, now a very great world tradition. Mm. It's, uh, it's it's wonderful. I, I, I get excited about the game. I'm curious where strategy goes. I'm like behind on this. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure where cutting edge strategy is, but you know, if you could have shown all these crushers in 2005 what the best players would be doing mm. in 2020, they would have been surprised. Mm-hmm. And um I'm really curious to see where this goes, what that means about what the high stakes games will look like. Will people still be playing Hold'em or Omaha? Um, there was a while when like, you know, Super Res Doogie, like they just decided to try to like trick each other in all the like super obscure games, um, which I have feelings about, but that's uh, that's another separate issue. Um, but yeah, no, I still love the game. I, I follow it as a tradition, but um, just just less personally. Well, let's talk a little bit about the traditions and the history of poker, because that's something that, uh, you know, you've always been a go-to for when it comes to etiquette, game security, the reason why we have these rules. I think people, especially, uh, you know, every year that goes by, people are a little less aware of why we have all these rules um, and uh, etiquette in the game. Usually it's it's for security so that people can, uh, it's make it harder to collude or cheat or that sort of thing. Um, do you, do you find that there's sort of this knowledge gap in, in modern day players or, uh, are there still, or let's just speak to that a little, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a big problem actually. Um, so you think about sort of like the null hypothesis. It's like, if there's $5 sitting out somewhere, like, are people going to try to steal that or no? (laughs) Yes. Right. Like they probably will. I, I, I like people. I, I think, you know, the world is full of wonderful people. I believe in certain kinds of basic human goodness, all these things. But there, there are enough thieves that um, things get stolen, right? Um, also, just look at like cryptocurrency, right? Like just there's a lot of thieves out there. You really want robust protections against theft in every sort of walk of life. Okay, so what's poker? Poker is a game where a lot of money changes hands. And like the uh, the accounting isn't always great. Like it's these little clay discs, and <laughs> little plastic cards. And um, Lyman, L-I-M-O-N. I don't know if he's still like a person in the community. He's like a two plus two poster. Po- poster. Then he did podcasting. And like he always said, like if you hang out in a casino, you will meet people who can do amazing things with a deck of cards. And there are people who are you know just really into magic. Like it's. Like, have you ever seen a magic act? People can manipulate physical things, um, you know, in a way that 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 defies sort of all human expectations and is very hard to track. Uh, people are also very good at manipulating attention. So mm. 
it was sort of a miracle. It was sort of a miracle that poker could ever exist uh, not as a cheating game. In the early history of poker, it really was just a cheating game. Like it was, um, you know, uh, that, that's just how it was. Like it, it, it's, it's sort of interesting, right? That um, this sort of legitimate enterprise grew out of something that was like just cheating. Um, but, <laughs> uh, so... So it's hard to prevent cheating and it required like lots and lots of traditions, practices, rules, and a ton of like folklore, right? Mm. And all of a sudden it became impolite in bad PR to talk about the fact that the poker world is among other things, dense with cheats and that the world is dense with cheats and that, um, you know, uh, it's just a little bit like um, trying to get a room full of first graders to behave. It's like maybe you can do it and like maybe they've been sitting still for a while. But if you put a bag of candy in the middle of the room and then the teacher leaves, like those kids are not staying in their seats. They're not. And, you know, in this metaphor, the first graders are the poker players and the candy is the money and the teacher is all the stuff that we knew. Okay. So, like, meanwhile, um, you get all these stories about casinos starting to hire personnel mm-hmm. based mostly on, like, whether they can smile really well and not yep. based on, like, deep knowledge of uh, anti-cheating practices and then all of a sudden people who are doing the hiring decisions don't even know that, you know, like what, you know, about not rolling the deck, for example. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I think a lot is required to keep poker games clean. And I think that that relied on a lot of institutional memory and, and collective knowledge that is being lost And I also worry that it's like impolite to say like, oh, please don't roll the deck. And then the dealer says like, oh, do you think I'm cheating? And it's like, I got no opinion about you. I got no opinion about you. Like, I do know that if it's okay for dealers to roll the deck, then a bunch of cheats are going to come in here. And like, we won't have poker in a while. And it's like, if you go to a bank and like, you know, the bank teller like follows procedure, like, like, you know, if they don't follow procedure, he's like, hey, can you please scan the check? They don't say like, well, what do you think I am, a thief? It's like, <laughs> it's like if we didn't have security cameras in banks, uh, then, then you know, we wouldn't be able to trust banks. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's a big problem. I, I haven't been uh, real dialed into this for the last two years because I haven't played a hand of poker in a year and a half. So maybe all of a sudden card rooms are getting really diligent about this. Um, I have my doubts. But um, certainly, you know, there was a time in the early boom era where most reputable rooms were run with a really security forward mindset. Yeah. And now I'm just not sure that's true. So I, I hope we get back there before, you know, um, poker rooms become places where it is not where, where you cannot play a fair game. Yeah. And you mentioned folklore and I think it does involve, you know, a kind of an institutional memory when it comes to that kind of stuff. And then B also those programs being resourced by the card room, right? Like you need, you need the actual establishments to feel like it's a priority that it's built into the training that the, uh, that it's, you know, something that they pay attention to when they're bringing people up. Is there something that, that individual players can do better to protect themselves and again specifically our, our listeners are mostly recreational players so um is, is there something that they can like look out for when they're playing live or you know a red flag in the way that uh, something's being handled mechanically that should make them worry about you know what they should be looking out for yeah excuse me i'm not really up on this like i mean one thing is like protect your cards so yeah that's, that's like one thing but like you know a lot of people don't and <laughs> I tell you, it's a lot harder to win at poker if the other guy knows what your cards are. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so let's we we talk about like protect your cards a lot, but let's let's just go down one level even from that. What what does that even mean when you say protect your cards, and and how can people actually protect their cards better than they are typically? Yeah, so it can actually mean like two different things depending on the context. One is when you 
peel up the corners to look at your cards, make a nice little cup with your hands so that you're the only one who can see them. Uh, yeah. So that's one thing. And then another thing is like only trade cards for chips. So like, mm. uh, yeah. So, so you win the pot, the other guy drops his cards. Don't just throw your cards away. Even if the dealer gives you like a little impatient look, like where are your cards? It's like, no, it's my, my cards are in my hand or underneath a tall stack of chips until such time as like, I have the chips in my hand, like only trade cards for chips. Um, Yeah. That's that's one that stuck with me. So uh, to take folks behind the counter, the curtain a little bit. So I I've been listening to the thinking poker podcast since they started and Nate and Andrew were sort of like the first two people that I followed on Twitter to try and get some free strategy advice from. And I've learned a lot about poker from Nate and Andrew. Um, and every once in a while, Nate will say something like always trade your cards for chips. It just brings me back. Cause like, that's one thing that stuck with me um, early on. And, and ever since I heard that when I play cash, you know, when I was playing one, two a lot, I would just always put a $1 chip on top of my cards and I would only ever slide them towards the dealer when they slid me the pot. And I was like, here's your dollar. Thank you for your time. And I'm not giving these up until I see you pushing those chips over towards me. That, that's, that's a great one. Yeah. Uh, two other things you can do. One is uh, look for markings on the back of the cards. Mm. A good place to look is when they're being pitched. Sometimes you can only see, th- see them when they're like um, rotating underneath a light. Um, so a lot of places use cards of sort of middling quality and just cause there's some tiny little Nick you can see, that doesn't mean that somebody's cheating, but you know, with a high quality deck of cards, then that is a problem. Um, this was notoriously bad at the world series for years because mm. they were using cheap cards for some reason. Uh, then, uh, mostly because of low ball players, nailing cards, this is called nailing cards or nailing aces. Um, so when they were doing, it, they were squeezing it, but also like nailing can be a, a, a term for like cheating by putting a a nail mark in there. Um, And that's like sort of something where like, if it were a crime of opportunity, um, if it was just somebody who like knows how to cheat and shows up to a place with cheap, cheap cards and unobservant staff, um, certainly just marking the aces and the Kings Mm -hmm. or whatever, just the aces. Like that's, I guess in Hold'em just, you'd want to just mark the aces probably. Um, That's like something that you can look out for. And if you're not sure, then like marking, then like protecting your cards either with your literal hand or with a bunch of chips. Um, that's that's a good thing to do. Second thing you can do is count the pot after it gets pushed to you because what's like one great way that recreational players who don't have millions of hours to study can be good at poker? Keep track of how much is in the pot. That's mm-hmm. a great way to get an edge on your opponents is like when you're at the table, just count the pot. I, you know, if you're playing poker, you can probably count. It's not always... <laughs> But like, no, believe me, it's like, it's like hard. It's like you know, there's $143 in the pot, and then somebody right. bets 28 and gets two calls. Now, how much money's in the pot? I, right. It's not that easy. But you know, just you're in the pot, keep track of it down to the dollar, know what the rake is. When the pot gets pushed to you, stack it and count it. Is it right? There you go. That's a so great that's, tip. It, you know, th- those are things, you know, protect your cards, uh, look for the marks count the pot. Those are three things you can do. They're not impolite. Uh, and they'll catch, you know, it's not perfect. You know, there, there are a lot of ways to cheat at poker that that won't catch, but sort of an 80, 20 thing, as we'd say, you know, that'll, that'll get you started. And it's something that's unobtrusive that you can always do. I like that. And I think, you know, recreational players like us, uh, we should definitely be it's a weakness of ours to not know the pot size at all times and to be comparing that to people's stacks. And, you know, especially if we're used to playing online and the computer handles all that for us, I know that takes some practice and diligence just to keep the track of the pot, but it's something that not only helps yourself from a security point of view, but also it helps you make better bet sizes and it helps yeah. you, um, you know, make better decisions about how many chips people have behind and that kind of stuff, which can be pretty crucial in tournament poker. All kinds of poker. I mean, I, I still did. I mean, I was a veteran player and like, you know, you're playing a long time. You get tired. Pot seems pretty big. You chuck in 50 bucks. It feels like a big bet. It's like, uh oh, I just bet a fifth of the pot on the right. Like, right. right. I did not want to bet a fifth of the pot. On the <laughs> like, that is... Yes. Rarely correct. <laughs> Sometimes, but yes, no, it's. <laughs> 
Now you talked earlier about sort of, um, well, when we were talking about security, you talked about uh, whether people will even be playing Hold'em in the future um, and sort of like the evolution of the game. I know mixed games are always, they've always been a great part of poker. And I think they're maybe the future of poker in a way because it's harder to solve them. Um, it's harder to, uh, there's sort of bigger gaps between the knowers and the unknowers <laughs> in the in the game. So, and I know you have some experience with mixed games. What kind of mixed, what do you like about mixed games? Has it helped you as a No Limit Hold'em player? And would you encourage recreational players to just focus on Hold'em or to play other mixed games as well? Yeah, uh, great question. First, I'm going to correct something. I I, I think I, what I said is like, what will high stakes players be playing? I think Hold'em, there will always be a ton of Hold'em. What I'm curious about is how the game will play out at the highest levels. Mm. In particular, whether at the very, very top, whether the edge that the you know fourth best player has over the ninth best player, whether that's going to be big enough to, to um, overcome the variance. And whether that game is sustainable, like if there are eight great Hold'em players sitting around the table, if, you know, John Q businessman comes in, like if he just sits down and gets crushed every time, like if the level of play gets so high and people get so good at just flaying John Q businessman, like then maybe something else has got to happen. I don't know how that happened. And one thing that I thought was interesting about the Super Raz Doogie 12 era or whatever it was. Uh, was that they were pretty much just punting on the idea of ever getting John Q businessman to sit down at the game right. in exchange for trying to jockey for maybe maybe a bigger edge against each other. And that I think is interesting. Like the the the, the way that trade-off happens is interesting. Okay. So what do I like about mixed games? Um Yes, they make you better at Hold'em, but probably not as much as studying Hold'em makes you better at Hold'em. I think really I studied mixed games because I liked it and because like it was just sort of a habit I got into. Then I invented a bunch of justifications after the fact. (laughs) I I would have made more money at poker uh, had I been a Hold'em player first. Like I love to talk about all the times that I was able to play for an extra two hours at Foxwoods because I also knew studs so I could play something else. Um, Right. You know, there was the 4080 mix game at the Bellagio. It used to be triple draw 08 and uh, stud high low regular, which is what people out west call no qualifier high low. Nope. Um, and that was great. Like that's that was a big part of my poker life. I did well at that game. It was my regular game for a long time. So that's that. But like, you know, in 2004, all the time I spent thinking about Omaha eight or better, like. If I just like learned Singo is a bit better, it would have been like, you know, right. all that. Um, I, I just like them. Uh, they do introduce other poker concepts. Um, although like the flip side of that is that they don't involve some concepts that you do need for holding. Right, so right. There. I think it's fun. Um, in terms of the future of poker, it's hard to tell. I think um, poker has gotten so big and it's still very big for most people who know poker uh, Hold'em, the poker is just synonymous with Texas Hold'em. Um, you know, the, the way that uh, many people, you know, 20 years older than us don't know that there are trick-taking games that are not bridge, where it's like, you know, it's like, <laughs> why, why aren't you playing whist? It's like, well, because, because this isn't, you know, this isn't 1842 or whatever. <laughs> Uh, I'm not a history. I'm not an expert on the history of trick taking games. It's possible. I think, I think Wist might be having a renaissance coming soon. We don't know. Hey, you, you never, never know. know. It's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that we're really never. I think going to see a time when poker is anywhere near as popular as it is now, mm. and when at least ninety-seven and a half percent of all poker being played is not hold'em. Like that's just where we are. Some interesting questions to me are um, what will happen at the high stakes? Mm-hmm. As I said, to what mm-hmm. extent will high stakes players choose to try to beat each other and uh, mediocre players at other games as opposed to hold them. Um, I mean, Omaha still exists. I'm told Europe is still a thing. So there's still Potlum in Omaha. Uh, and like, there's always going to be like other stuff like you know follow the queen will still be played oh yeah etc um so that's 
that. Um, also, just personally, the future of seven card stud, it's like sad to go to Foxwoods, which I haven't done in a while. And, you know, it's like when I was playing in 2003 or 2004, you know, you would go and the stud players would range from like 45 to 90. Yeah. 20 years later, and pretty much the stud players range from 65 to 90. Right. The same guys, basically, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not, it's not, you know, stud is, you know, for a long time, poker was limit poker and limit poker was stud poker. That's what I grew up playing. Yep. And that's that. Um, but it looks like that's just kind of gone with the wind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, um, we did talk about sort of nostalgia and going back into the day. Um, we, you and I both studied philosophy. Uh, that's sort of, how, I'm sure that's impacted your worldview as much as it has mine. You've, of course, gone much deeper with your education. You've got a PhD. Um, but you're also involved in uh, software engineering. But let's just say before you got involved in thinking, po- in thinking poker, um, what were you doing with your philosophy training? to to put food on the table and uh how did that imp- impact your skills as a poker player but also your skills as a programmer and a software developer and a software engineer that's a great question um i was a grad student so when i started thinking poker i was a grad student uh and i was just about at this decision point i could either stay in boston um and and work remotely uh, like, like do my PhD remotely. Um, or I could go back to Cornell and take on a TA ship. And, you know, I, I, I think very fondly about the Cornell philosophy department. I had a great time there and the stipend is really quite generous compared to some other, um, programs, you know, cost of living adjusted. You know, I, when I was there, it was about $24,000 a year, um, taxed favorably, and to live in Ithaca, New York, you can do that, right? So, um, you know, from my perspective, then I was really giving something up, but um, I had personal reasons for staying mm-hmm. in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, ha- ha- in terms of putting food on the table, I could have put some food on some fraction of a table <laughs> going back to Cornell and, and being a TA. I could have tried to win the lottery and get a good academic job tough to do in the humanities then even tougher now all the respect in the world for people who do that you know um i've been in that world and some people who leave it say that the people who stayed back are suckers i don't believe that at all they're uh, by and large noble people doing noble things trying to do what they love and uh, very very hard working um so i don't you know other people made different choices for good reasons I um, decided to start to program computers and I finished that on the side. You know, I, I, I never um, made money at philosophy and, and really. Um, and when I was studying philosophy, I was more philosophy. I was more study oriented, less career oriented. Um, yeah. I mean, seeing close up the way that, academics lived Mm -hmm. and what they needed to do. Um, Mm -hmm. Arguably, I have more time for intellectual pursuits than a lot of philosophy professors do. Um, There are probably even some philosophy professors of whom it could be said that I have more time for philosophy than they do. I think you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, So that's that. Um, You know, you had other good questions. It's like, how, how did philosophy <laughs> affect my like software engineering? Is that right? Yeah, because I know like when, in, in my undergrad, I did a lot of uh, logical notation study. And a lot of the logical no- notation stuff translates very well to, to programming. It, yeah. it would seem to me, I'm, I'm not at all a programmer, but the concepts seem to make sense. Is that is that yeah. is that true? I, I knew what lambdas were. I knew what a number <laughs> right. yeah, So I studied uh, uh, like generative grammar. Uh, yeah. So, so like Hyman Kratzer and like, uh, you know, like like the this Fergian program of representing English words as, as with lambdas and lambda, the, the, the lambda calculus. That was ex- so like I, I spent a semester struggling with that. That paid off in philosophy. You know, um, this idea that things might have formal or formalizable foundations. Mm. And that 
Um, they could have been different than they are or from what they are uh, and that, that they can be discovered, but like you can be right or wrong about them. Um, these kinds of ideas are, are things that come naturally in philosophy. Um, you know, one, one mistake that a lot of beginning programmers make is to conflate the equals where you're testing to see if two things are equal and the equals where you're making something equal to something else. Mm-hmm. And, and some programming languages excuse me, have um, like sort of related subtle concepts like that. Um, and if you spent long enough in the philosophy of language, you learn that like, you know, there are just a lot of subtle things we do with um, predication, with the copula. You know, when we say that something is something else, that can actually mean a lot of different things metaphysically and people argue over what those are. Um, and so it really positions you well um, to uh, be sensitive to what might otherwise come across as like subtle distinctions that you need to know to be a programmer. Um, and just the ability to write about technical things is good. Like a big part of being a programmer is um, writing in English about the computer code that you're about to write or have written or that somebody else should write. And in philosophy, you just write and write and write and write and write. So um there's yeah so that's that's another part of it cool um so i've got a couple more questions i want to honor your time we're getting close to when i said i'd let you go the um recreational players you know are are the the errors that we make are always going to be different from generation to generation but most players go through that same cycle of sort of starting really bad learning that they have to tighten up um then sort of like getting too loose and then getting back into like tag in a general way, what are a couple things that, uh, as you got better at poker, you realized recreational players were doing wrong? And a couple things that maybe just our listeners might be able to think about. Maybe it's just like one or two things that, they, at a very fundamental level, that they could work on to be less exploitable as recreational players. For me, the things that I saw, like you know, people say like, oh, everybody starts out too loose and then they play too tight and then they hit the middle or something, you know, or like, you know, then they play sort of the right frequency of hands and they have to change like which hands they play or something. Mm. You know, for me, there's like six, like, like phase one is actually six subphases where like you start and then like, it's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't. Okay. I'm going to get really good tighten up. Like, and like, really, you just need to like tighten up like six times. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's, 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 um, you know, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, like weight loss or something. Like you talk to people who know about weight loss. It's like, oh, well, what's more important, exercising more or eating less? It's like, no, you should probably eat less. Like that's, that, that's the first thing. And like what, what most people are doing is has a lot more to do with their mouths than, than their time at the gym, you know, like, or that, just like one example, but like, you know, it's like, oh, what's like the mystical balance? It's like, no, you need to tighten up. You need to tighten right. Like it's like 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 that's really it. Um, like bet sizing, uh, people like think like th- this includes me. So it's like, what did I see recreational players do? It's like I saw recreational players do this, and I also saw this guy do it. Like forever <laughs> is like the amount of discipline it takes to actually think about your bet sizes and mm-hmm. keep on thinking about them mm-hmm. and have any clue what you're doing. It's just like, if you walk up to a one, two table and you see a pot with a hundred bucks in it and somebody bets $35, it's like, if you sort of stop time and ask that person, like, why did, first, like, do you know how much you bet? Sometimes right. do you know how much was in the pot? And like, why in the broadest sense, did you bet a third of the pot and not two thirds or a quarter or an eighth or twice the pot or move on or whatever? You're not going to get a good answer. And even if somebody in principle could give it a good answer, um, they really don't most of the time. <laughs> like, 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 especially after an hour, like they're a little tired, they're a little tilty. They're more concerned about the drink coming. And like, even when I was thinking about it and like really on my game, it's like, I would go talk to Andrew at a break and it's like, Hey, what do you think about this hand? I never got the bet sizes, right? Never, right? never, never, never. And it's like, on the one hand, you can say like, Oh, this is a question about recreational players. And like, this is an advanced topic. But the thing is that even recreational players can do better. And there's just so many leaks of so many kinds that like, you know, if you're like a super, super beginner, it's like, try to keep track of what's in the pot 
and you know maybe bet about half of it sometimes and have some sense of whether you're betting a little bit more or less that's right. like sort of step one and two and then after that like you can just get better and better and better so i i would yeah bet sizing but that's like after you've done you've you've gone on the the spirit walk of tightening up and then tightening <laughs> up some more and tightening up some more after that which is like that's a that's a whole like separate journey that's like it's like the part of like one of the original Mario. It's like before you turn into the rabbit in, in Mario. It's like it's like you think you've beaten the game. It's like, oh wait, no, I have to tighten up some more. There's like another cave and more bomb. I gotta set some more bombs and be it's like, ah, okay, now I'm tight enough. And then it's like, oh wait, now I'm a rabbit. And like with that, that that's when you start thinking about bet sizing. But like that, that's 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 after the whole spiritual quest of the first stuff. Like that's wait till you're a rabbit, you know. <laughs> I love that. I love the concept of like the vision quest for tightness, <laughs> going over the over the mountain and finding another even tighter mountain there uh, waiting for you. Well, um, I, I want to give uh, Roger or Rob or Martha, if you have any questions for Nate before we let him go, type them in the chat here. Um, Nate, we are saying goodbye to your part of the Thinking Poker podcast. Looking back over the uh, last eight or nine years, are there any um highlights or are there any favorite guests i mean i don't i know it would be hard for you to stop once you get started but are there a couple moments where you think back and you're like huh that's one of those really fond memories i'm going to have of my time with the thing poker podcast yeah you know um no joke i'm proud of what we did i think we were early in uh normalizing discussion of mental health And I'm proud of not so much us, but the people who came on and talked about their struggles with mental health and in some cases successful and in some cases not. And I'm proud of Andrew and myself for saying things like, hey, maybe some of you should quit poker. Like a lot of poker media doesn't want to think about the dark side of the game, including the cheating stuff. You know, we can call back to that. Um, And this idea that mental health is really prevalent or the mental mm-hmm. health problems are prevalent mm-hmm. uh, and that poker isn't for everyone. Like I'm, I'm proud that we were talking about that, you know, oh, quite a while ago. And I'm also, you know, I, I think we were a little bit early on some stuff around uh, like women's roles in the game. Um, you know, like, like uh, LGBT, whatever uh, issues in the game. And um I mean, arguably, like over the last three years, we've been behind the times now, but I think we were ahead of, I think we were ahead of um, sort of, I I think being independent and Mm. thinking in a clear eyed way about what was actually going on in poker and wanting to get perspectives from everywhere. We we were not like, I I was not out, you know, to, to, um, satisfy any future political ideology and right uh but i i think to the extent that poker is a less dangerous place for some people uh like maybe some of the people we brought on like not not me taking the credit but like i'm proud of our guests and i'm proud that we um took a a very broad view of who we wanted to talk about from the beginning other than that, just having Carlos on, he was this like ball of sunshine. He was amazing. And he was like, there's this guy who's like actually doing what you're supposed to do to get good at poker. And he was just this enormous, like just this ball of sunshine. He was amazing. And now he's so much better than me. And he has a bracelet. Now he's the host. And like, he was just this, like, he was just the best, the absolute best. It's like, Andrew's like, oh, there's this guy, Carlos, who's grinding sit and goes and like, he's really cheap and he wants to like, maybe be a pro. And I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, you say we interview him, we interview him, whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, and then I'm like, you show up and it's like this incredible human being. And now he's done enormous things in poker will far surpass anything I ever did. I, I, I don't no false modesty. Like the dude, he's got like the coaching and the bracelet and, and he's like a workaday pro and ever like, I mean, uh, good for him. He deserves it all. And like uh, to, to, to have had him on early for like, to be sort of part of his origin Mm. story in poker, like Mm -hmm. he did it all himself, but to have been sort of early on Carlos, that makes me happy. 
<laughs> nice. Well, we just got joined by John Zomsky, who's one of the few people I know of, along with Chad McDean, who listens to more poker podcasts than I do. Um, John, if you have any questions for Nate um, or anything else to add, feel free to jump in here. I see you just unmuted. Yeah, I, you know, I, I was just thinking of you in particular today. I was listening to a technical podcast, and it was about having a Python refactoring IDE. And I was just... I know no no one in the audience except for me is going to care about care about this. But do you use any type of uh, Python refactoring tools? <laughs> I, I use PyCharm. I use PyCharm, and I highly and I think it's great. Uh, I'm I'm one of these podcasters who, who I, I've never been. I, I've never taken any money from JetBrains. I have given JetBrains plenty of money. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. I, I highly recommend it. I also think I call them IDE trust falls. I think you should actually like learn the refactoring tools, um, you know, get to a place where you just pushed up some changes and then, you know, actually extract an interface, actually do these things. Um, especially because things like extracting interfaces, thinking about interfaces, that's how you're going to grow as an engineer, I think. Um, so yes, absolutely. I'm a PyCharm person, but Visual Studio Code also great. Um, you know, I, I but like I definitely, you know, if there's one thing that poker players and software engineers don't do enough of, uh, it's investing in tools and learning the tools. You know, if you take an hour and learn either your IDE if you're a software engineer or you know poker stove poker you know whatever your or you know if you're fancy you know the poker solver thing that i should have learned eight years ago and i never did but that's a different thing um like that's where you're gonna get better and like you know like trying to learn everything from scratch studying the game theory textbook there are great tools out there those tools act as a force multiplier on your knowledge and um definitely learn how to use them that you know the future is going to belong to people who work well with machines not not get their work taken over by machines, but work with machines. So yeah, I'm a I'm a PyCharm guy. Uh, but you know, really, I would just say yes, use your IDE. IDE for poker play. It's an integrated development environment. When you're programming computers, it's like it's the thing you type in, and then it also gives you like little like syntax hints and help, and like you can turn one function into two functions if you need to. You can figure out every place where this variable gets called, and then many more fancy things besides. There you go. Thanks, John. Thanks, Nate. Good insight for that uh, that segment of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, those, those one other person besides me. <laughs> well, your questions are. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not my show. I'm I'm boring. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks, Nate. I'm going to let you go. You've been very generous with your time, as you always are. And um, you're, you're such a, a, a great part of the poker world. Just personally speaking, I don't know if we mentioned this on the air, but, um, you know, we do a lot of poker discussions around here and, and co group conversations. And I do some coaching myself with my own clients. And there's probably no one in the poker world who I find myself regurgitating more often than Nate Mavis on a weekly basis. I'll give some tip to someone and I'll just like hear Nate saying it on the podcast or in one of our Twitter exchanges or having him on the show. Um, so Nate, it's just a, a real pleasure to have you here and to say thank you for all that you've done just for me as a player, um, but for the poker world generally. I hope you feel the love and know that uh, you've touched a lot of people in, in a wonderful way. So thank you yeah. very much. Really, honestly, means a lot. Um, also, you know, thank, thanks for having listened to me. Also, like, <laughs> you guys are still here. You know, a lot of poker podcasts have come and go. And, you know, I'm I'm stepping away. Like, no, no disrespect to anybody who did that. But like, you know, like 93% of success is showing up. Like, here's to showing up. You guys do great stuff. I'm so happy you still exist. Thanks for having me on. I hope, I hope sometime down the road we can talk again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So where can people uh, find you on Twitter or is that the best place to look you up? And if they're looking for a software engineer, uh, what's the best way to connect with you? Uh, I am Nate Mavis on Twitter. My website is www.natemavis.com. N-A-T-E-M-E-Y-V as in Victor, I-S.com. There you can get my thoughts on software engineering and some poker and uh, parenting books and... Um, I got a draft post about Gerard Manley Hopkins I'm, uh, I'm working on. So that's, that's where you can hear, hear a lot of stuff. But yes, also Twitter. Um, look me up. I like getting email. You can just, there's a, on, on my website, you can just, my email address is there. Um, I, I'm in, 
I'm a very easy person to get in touch with if you want to get in touch with me. How about that? If you want to look me up and you can't figure it out, really, that's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And as you can see, he sets the bar pretty low for podcasts, too. So don't be afraid to go after the guy. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Have a great evening. All right. You too. Well, we're going to hear from our friend Jonathan Little, and then we'll come back on the other end of it and uh, talk about some community happenings. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace-king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at pokercoaching.com slash recpoker right now. You heard it here first, folks. Better head over to pokercoaching.com slash recpoker and check out that great offer from Jonathan Little. And I happen to know that if you don't think you got great value, uh, he, he has a money back guarantee. So go and check that out. John, that was a fun little treat. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Nate Davis, such a fun character in the world of poker. Yeah, you know, I, I, I noticed I was, I was appreciative that he, he said, you know, most of being success is showing up and he didn't say showing up on time. Yeah. He really so, saw your, saw right into your heart there. Didn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a treat. It, it really is. Um, you know, when I, when I got started in poker, seriously, when I started seriously thinking about poker, I just can't stress enough how much I learned from the thinking poker podcast. And if you're listening to this, They've got over 300 episodes, uh, so go back and you can listen to them going back to 2013. Um, a great variety of guests, always top-level strategy conversations, and you can uh, support them by going to knitcast.com. Um, Andrew Brokus continues the podcast with uh, Carlos, Carlos Welch, who, and they've, they're both just phenomenal uh, poker minds. We've had them on the show before. Andrew's probably the smartest poker player I know in the world. Um, we've done some work together in the past. I'm just always impressed with him. And uh, <clears throat> I do encourage people to go check, go, go check that out and give Nate a little uh, follow on Twitter and tell him thanks for coming on the show because I think it uh, helps us out when people see that we're uh, putting people in front of uh, Rec Boker Nation. And, and Rec Boker Nation is so appreciative and warm and welcoming that it means a lot. So, uh, John, why don't you take us through some recent home game results and then we'll talk about what else is going on. That sounds good to me. So, for the Mixed Game Championship Series, the final one of the year, mm. we have MN Ted, Philip Pure, Ew. won, got his very first win. Wow, nice And, again. of course, that also means that the Nolan Holden points race is over, or, or I mean, the Mixed Games points race is over. And, uh, you know, I don't even remember who won that. Yeah, I'm, I'm drawing to, a blank on that. That's weird. I'll have to look that up because, you know, I didn't put it down on the slide. Yeah. It must not have been anyone. Um, no one noteworthy, I suppose. It was, someone I, would have I stuck in our mind. It's Gopher B T G M. No, it's Gopher no. Boy TJM. Oh, no, not Taylor Moss. Yeah. Oh, Taylor. did Taylor Moss win it? He wins everything. No. I'm getting so sick of this. You know, he deserved it, though. He he played very well. Uh, what's interesting is Patty 98 yes. came in second place, only 32 points behind Taylor, and he missed two of the tournaments. Wow. So even if he had just signed up and been the first one out, he would have gotten 10 points for each of those. Wow. So really, he just uh, missed it by about 10 points. And you know what? I was having a beer with Mike Patrick down in Las Vegas in October, and we were talking about that because he, he had to miss. It must have been the October and November games because he was working for Poker News, I think. Or, no, he uh, made he made November. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. It was October and November. Yeah. October and November that he missed. So he put he put his poker reporting career ahead of uh, the player of the year race. And that's what happens, Mike. That's what happens when you mess yep. with uh, mess with the bull. Yeah, Taylor Moss, he's going to bring the horns. And that's what happened. He came through and snuck it out in, in December. Congratulations, Taylor. We're actually going to be having uh, an interview with Taylor uh, just in a couple of weeks on the show. So you'll get to find out a little more from him um, about what that experience was like. Uh, truly his crowning achievement as a poker player. Uh, so we'll learn more about that in 2022. Nice. 
I'm sort of a little sad that that's all done. Maybe next year. Uh, oh, no, never mind. We won't talk about that on the air. Let's make some plans for next year before we commit to them publicly, John. <laughs> yeah, that'd probably be a good idea. Uh, then we have Combinkley, uh, Eric Jin got yes. his fourth nightly victory for the year. Go. Oh, nice. Noah, twelve ninety two, got his second or first and second nightly victory for the year. Back to back, Noah Anderson, way to go! Well, it was on the seventh and ninth. Technically, oh. there was the mixed game in between, I see, I see. but it is the it was back to back for the nightly. Right. Uh, or the daily series nightly events. Back to back. Then we have Keck Geek, Mark Kiki. Now, this mm. is uh, Mark. J- Jacob's Kiki. dad. Yeah. Yeah. This is the senior Keck Geek. The original Keck The original Keck Geek. Way to go, Mark. And he's got his seventh nightly victory for the year. The force and is strong in that family, no doubt. It should also be noted that he's had nine total victories this year. Whoa. So he. Uh, and his son right now is sitting at 19. 19. He's got two weeks left to make it yep. to 20. Yep. <laughs> okay. Then we have Aces. Five, oh, four, three, Kathy two, Chang. zero. Kathy Chang got her second nightly victory for the year. Now, we got to stop for a second here because I want to talk about Kathy Chang. Kathy Chang is a complete ace when it comes to mixed games. It's not just her handle. She's been, she and I have been chatting over email and site messages about how to get mixed games a bigger part of rec poker in 2022. So, uh, Kathy, if you're listening, let's get back on, let's, let's get back connected again. Cause I think we've got some really good uh, ideas for 2022, getting more uh, of a mixed game focus at rec poker. You've got this great passion and energy for it. And you're such a skilled player. Uh, thanks, Kathy. I'm looking forward to, uh, to doing a little more with you on that front. And thanks again for giving Rec Poker Premium a try. It's been uh, fun getting to know you a little better, and I hope you're enjoying it. And speaking of mixed events, Gibber 3, Jim Gibson. Uh, the real Jim. His first daily mixed victory Guy's of the year. Roll. Jeez, this guy. And then he stopped. Jay Setum, mm-hmm. Jeff S., got his second international victory for the year we've heard his name a few times as well yep. nicely done jeff and isn't must spike has gotten so many victories this is his <laughs> sixth international victory that i now have come up with a pronunciation of his name that <laughs> he's is not even sense. not even phasing you anymore isn't yeah, it's it, just boom i may not have be pronouncing it right but <laughs> anyway and then for the lpp sunday event we have Captain Walleye, Rob Ansom. Yeah. Got his first LPP Sunday victory of the year. Rob, congratulations, man. I see you're actually in the chat here as well, listening along. So way to go. Uh, Rob, I think, I don't know if this is probably, I think Rob also did pretty well in an MSPT uh, seniors event um, a little while ago. I haven't, I haven't verified that with, I haven't double sourced that, but I believe Rob has been crushing it recently. So congratulations, Rob. Well, and that you know, would not surprise me at all. Yeah, he's he's been putting in some time, and he's a he's a, a regular in a lot of our rec poker events. And I know he's thinking a lot about how to improve these days um, and putting in the time. So, congratulations, Rob! And you know, because you won on Sunday night, you have won a free month at Learn Pro Poker. So you can send me an email, just like anyone who wins on Sunday night. Send me an email, Jim at Rec Poker, and I'll send you uh, your information to how to get that free month. And you're going to love it over there, uh, Rob. You're going to get a lot of cool uh, stuff there. So pick a month when you've got some downtime uh, to take advantage of it because you don't have to use it right away. Uh, and then I also wanted to mention I've had a lot of questions recently with our – we have two Tournament of Champions series coming out this last uh, month in December. So remember, if you win a daily series event, the Tournament of Champions is always the following month. So if you win a daily series event in December, you'll be playing the Tournament of Champions the second Monday in November. The way that I contact the people who have qualified is by sending them a message on Rec Poker. So make sure you have your account set up there and that you have it set to notify you when you receive messages so that you know how to sign up for the uh, TOC clubs because they are different than our normal champ or our normal community club because 
I have to like suspend people. And if you ever get suspended from that club, it's just because you didn't happen to qualify for the upcoming tournament of champions. Not that you did anything wrong whatsoever, unless you were Jim. And uh, John, where can people reach you? What, what's your best way for people to reach out to you? Your favorite way? Because I know people can email you. They can find you on Twitter. They can DM you in the site. Uh, what's your preferred way for people to reach out if they have questions about the home game? I prefer them to write it on a $20 bill and just slip it into my hand. But no, um, uh, no actually, just send, you have, send your, send any questions to Steve at rec.poker. And uh, if you have any questions, you can email me at John at rec.poker or go ahead and message me on the rec.poker site. Uh, you will have to uh, connect to me, but I accept all connection requests. So feel free to do either one of those. Right on. And we did introduce a new um, feature to the website now. If you have joined as a community member, and if you have all the fields in your profile set up properly to be admitted to the home games, then you will get the badge that says home gamer. So if you're on the website and you go to your own profile and you see a little badge there that says home gamer, you have filled out all the fields correctly. And John will make sure that you get entered into the home game club to play in our free money poker stars uh, home games, which we do about 10 a week. It's a lot of fun win a pin, win your way into the tournament of champions and just get better at poker by playing along with other serious amateurs. It's just one of the things we're doing a little differently on the website. There's also badges for members that uh, uh, log in seven days in a row. If you're there active, uh, actively, you get a badge, um, a badge, a badge for people posting in the forums, um, a special OG badge for those that joined us back in the day before we got all fancy and slick with this brand new website. Um, so do go and check that out and have some fun. Uh, have some fun on the website, join some groups, uh, post in the forums, check out the discord. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cool ways to just hang out there for free. We've got a million free videos on YouTube too. So go check that out as well. And, uh, yeah, just go have fun. Have fun with all the free stuff at Rec Poker. We do a lot of free stuff. It's just a lot well, of fun to do it. And, and, you know, I have to send out a personal thanks to uh, website Mark because he made some changes recently. Prior to that, about 90% of the people signing up <laughs> for the home game were not doing it correctly. They wouldn't put, fill in the Poker Stars username or I'd have to go and figure some things out and manually tweak them. And, and so it was... Um, a lot of effort now i would say about 90 percent, maybe even 95 percent, are getting it right whoa so, uh huge improvement there you go on that. so i want to thank website mark personally and it's a, a streamlined sign up here process now or at least more clear so sign up and let's play in the home games Nice. Well, I think by the time this episode comes out, it's just going to be a few days before Christmas. So I guess that's uh, Mark doesn't need to get you a Christmas present this year, John. It sounds like you've already opened that one under the tree. You're all set. Oh, yeah. That's all I needed for Christmas. <laughs> well, um, let me see. What else? Uh, what else is new and exciting coming along? I know there's going to be a bunch. Uh, Chris Jones is working um, feverishly behind the scenes to uh, kind of augment some of the way that we display our videos, some of the way that we categorize some of our content online. So in 2022, you'll see a lot of exciting stuff um, on that front. Uh, let me see. I guess, is there anything well, else that we should touch on here, John? Well, I would say what's one of the biggest things that we're probably all looking forward to in January? Well, for me, I know it's the Recce's Award Show on Wednesday, Jan uh, January 26th at 6.30 Central because it's going to be uh, Colin and Danny hosting again. The whole panel will be there. Uh, where everyone's invited to come and dress up. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got some special guests coming. We're going to give out some awards. Um, we're also going to be drawing for some prizes, including a $200 video pack from D&B Publishing about the Michael Acevedo uh, modern poker theory video series, which I'm really excited about some free months at rec poker. Uh, we're just getting started here, folks, but uh, circle that Wednesday, January 26th at 6 30 PM central time. Uh, John, did I get it right? Or was there something else that we're all really excited? That's about? exactly what I was thinking of. I know <laughs> last year was a blast. Uh, we'll get a chance to see, uh, you know, I I'm already chomping at the bit to see who they come up with for some of the, uh, greatest performances in the home games mm -hmm. and um, maybe uh, greatest performances fulfilling a prop bet might show up in there somehow. 
<laughs> Who knows? Yes. yes, that's right. Oh, speaking of which, I don't know if we've actually, have we announced who the winner of the No Limit Hold'em Player of the Year race is? Because I know the championship is going to be uh, on Wednesday where we take the final two tables. We take the 12 monthly winners plus a series of points winners to play in a uh, final two table championship tournament. And the winner of that is officially the 2021 Rec Poker No Limit Hold'em champion. But there is the player of the year race as well. And uh, we want to know who, and I guess that's all sewn up now. So who, John, is the 2021 No Limit Hold'em Rec Poker Player of the Year? Is there anyone we know? No, this is another a person I don't even remember them winning a single tournament, and yet they they're at the top of this. It is Rec Poker Steve. Oh my Steve God, Redland. it can't be this yep. thing rigged, rigged hashtag well, rigged. And you know what? What is also impressive there is he got three hundred and forty points, and the nearest person to him, who was Stewie thirteen, oh. got two hundred and ninety four. Wow. So that's quite a lead to have there. Now, in in Stewie's defense, he did have to miss one of those tournaments. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if he had played that, he probably would have beat Steve. But we'll let nice. Steve have it anyway. Yes, that let him have. Well, first of all, Stu, way to go, man. I, especially the fact that Stu uh, missed one of those tournaments and was still able to do it. Um, so Stu's another one of our premium members who's a regular in our strategy conversations um, he's a big, uh, a big help in a lot of the, uh, he's there in the OPA almost every Tuesday. Um, he asks great questions in our study groups. Uh, we actually even play in a live uh, point league towards a WSOP um, satellite uh, along with uh, Kim Kilroy and Elizabeth uh, Bennett Martin. So Stu, uh, way to go on second place. I'm sorry you couldn't get that 12th tournament in and take the big dog down, but Steve Fredland. How about this? The guy starts this whole organization, starts the podcast, puts this group together, and now we know why. The 2021 Rec Poker No Limit Hold'em Player of the Year. Congratulations, buddy. That's got to feel good. And Taylor won the mixed games? Is that what I'm hearing correctly? Oh, my God. Um, And then last year, I think it was Jamel Cuevas that won the uh, Player of the Year race. And uh, Mike Patrick, of course, was the only one who could be considered uh, for the Mixed Game Player of the Year. Um, so I guess all that we have to, all that's left to see is who's going to be the no limit hold'em champion, um, yes. out of this last tournament. Right. And the, uh, there are, the way it works is there are 18 players who the top 18 players, well, anyone who won a tournament automatically gets in and then the top point earners to fill it out to 18 players. However, there are also six alternates that are available. Mm. So we'll see if, if the People in the top 18 have not signed up as of Wednesday because we're playing it just two days from this recording or, you know, about four days before you listen to it. This thing, whatever. By the time you listen to it, it's going to be over. <laughs> yes. um, then maybe the alternates will be playing. But hmm. I have – let's see how good you are at rec poker trivia. Uh-oh. Who would you guess have won the most home games this year, the top three players? That have won the most home games period this year. Yep. <sighs> All right. Well, obviously, I'm putting Jacob Kiki on the list. Yep, um, that one is correct. And how many has he won? Nineteen in total, correct. is my understanding. That's good. Um, yes. Who is after behind him? I mean, Mark Kiki's got to be pretty close uh, in double digits already. Uh, and I know you've been struggling with Spike quite a bit, so I'd be—I know he's up there in that uh, double digits as well. Um, I've seen. Mm, so both of those guesses are are not two and three. Uh, okay. The second and third players show up a lot to the recordings, participate a lot in a lot of things. Um, there is one of each gender. Okay, so let's think. Could it be Kim Kilroy? Yes, All Kim right. Kilroy is in uh, second place with sixteen. Oh my god! This year, she is such a killer. She yeah, is. She didn't even announce that she was going for. I know. <laughs> She's averaging she one and a quarter a month. Oh my god! And then okay, and um, your final hint. This isn't good, actually. 
because Kim, of course, is Canadian. And the third individual is also Canadian. That's your hint. Oh, my God. Why is it Chad McVean? Nope. Oh, you're going to get me in trouble with my Canadian followers now. Hold on a second. Uh, our Canadian, our Canuckian members are going to be getting out the pitch, uh, pitchforks and torches. Uh, Canadian male regular. Is it when Evil Roy? Yes, it is. Yes, Evil Roy. You die. Evil Roy has 14 victories this year. Whoa, Dark Horse. Yeah. So they have really turned their games on this year. Holy cow. Way to go. And Evil Roy. And, and it's probably not a coincidence that they are two of the most active participants as well. Yep. yep. You said it, man. Um, I know Evil Roy goes by Dave. Uh, Dave joined premium membership this year. And he's been uh, he's been very active in our uh, Saturday study groups, in the Wednesday night uh, online review and hang, um, on Tuesday night in the OPA. And I don't think it's a coincidence that these players that are getting involved in the strategy conversations are just killing it in the home game. Because I don't think there's I don't think that's a coincidence at all. And we see a lot of these active participants on the leaderboard every weekend. I think you know that's why because talking about poker with other people makes you better at poker and it's not just you know listening to the podcast watching the videos those kind of passive learning those are great opportunities but when you have to put things into words yourself your brain thinks about them differently and there's really no substitute for talking poker with people who are who are trying to talk about the same kind of things you are. me talk better than i used to <laughs> don't get me started there's a hole with no bottom steve makes <laughs> this look easy but sometimes i think it's like the amina show if you get chris jones and i together it's just like an amina fest lookout um all right well i guess that's everything on my list i want to talk about tonight i'm excited to open up some presents and sip some eggnog and uh uh count count the reindeer <laughs> steps on the roof <laughs> boundless glee right john i think that's what we're wishing exactly. to all our rec poker members and listeners so i guess without further ado i'll just say thanks to uh website amp running aces hotel racetrack and casino uh roger rob and martha in the chat nate mavis of course uh john somsky merry christmas everybody and thanks for listening see you again soon